Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. These plans do. They're about betting on America, about believing in America, about believing in the capacity of the American people. If you look at the history of the journey of this nation, what becomes crystal clear is this. I'll say it again. Given half a chance, the American people have never, ever, ever, ever let the country down. So let's get this done. God bless you all, and may God protect your troops, and I'll see you in Italy and in Scotland. Thank you. And just like that, he takes no questions after meeting with members of the House to figure out how they're going to get through this $1.75 trillion now worth of spending. He just, literally, that was the end, wrapping up the press conference, which wasn't a press conference, it was more of a statement, and I've got it for you, Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. He doesn't have any answers, and he keeps wanting to tell you that it's paid for. What they have come to now, this all in the shadow of the fact that GDP was 2%. The estimate, 2.8%. We call that, kids, a problem. A massive, giant problem. But they believe they've got this spending thing all set up. It's about infrastructure. No, it's not about infrastructure. It's about social spending. At least now they call it social spending. $1.75 trillion, that's the number. And how do they pay for it? How do they tell you, me, and we it's paid for? It doesn't add anything to the debt. They've got $1.995 trillion in tax increases. But what is in the bill? Well, no one, no one knows that. No one knows that. If you listened to Debbie Dingle this morning, Debbie Dingle is the representative from Michigan. She's on CNN. Well, maybe that's why you didn't listen to Debbie Dingell this morning. I can appreciate that. And the commentary is, you know, we're all meeting with President Biden, as Democrats did this morning, but not even the speaker knows what's in the school. Not even the speaker knows what's in the bill. Not even the speaker knows what this is all about. Uh, One of the challenges uh, is this morning when the president is expected to come to our Democratic caucus at nine o'clock is nobody knows. And I'm not even sure the speaker knows what's in the bill, what's out, what the revenue sources are going to be. It has been an agreement. The revenue sources in this bill will cover all, will cover all of the new pocket. This will not add to the debt. Now we need to know what's going to be in the bill. And Isn't that amazing? They started with a number, and then they figured they'd fit in what they could. So they don't look at policy as what is necessary. They took a, like, take a look at policy and say, how much can we spend, and then here's what we can do. Is that the way we want things to be done in America? Is that the way we want to budget out? I think that's a legitimate question. I think that's a question of immense value. And a one we're not getting an answer to. Because they don't know what is in it. Remember the days of you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it? Now we're in, 
We're going to pass a bill, and we're not sure what's in it, and no one knows what's in it. We only know what it's going to cost unless, of course, it costs something else. So let's break it down. Let's go through it bit by bit. President Biden takes to the podium and says, hot diggity, kids, we got ourselves a spending bill. After months of tough and thoughtful negotiations, I think we have an historic, I know we have a historic economic framework. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people, turn the climate crisis into an opportunity and put us on a path not only to compete, but to win the economic competition for the 21st century against. Good Lord, it's already bad. It's already bad because he's already set up on a on a it's historic this and what what are you talking about historic we, we 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 after tough negotiations it wasn't tough negotiations you were eating your own the Democratic Party is not together they are totally fractured and we don't know if the progressives are going to go through with this we have no idea if the progressives are going to go through with this. Just hours before, there's Pramila Jayapal, who leads the Progressive Caucus, saying, beats me if this is going to work. If there isn't a deal, which is what I'm still hearing, that we don't have agreement of Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema on a framework, even on a framework, much less on a legislative text, then I'm not sure what the president is going to present to us. We have been very clear that this is... We have been standing up for the 85% of the president's agenda that is in the Build Back Better Act. And that the two bills, the only reason people were willing to vote for the infrastructure bill, which has some good things in it, but for many people who care about climate, they see this as a net negative for climate. And so... So she's admitting that it's never about infrastructure. It's all about the wokey, woke, woke things. Back to pre- but and and to be also clear, she's not sure there's a deal because she's hearing things. She's not a hundred percent sure. So what got said in the meeting today that now is going to get her and the squad on the side of this? No one's answering that. Meanwhile, back to President Biden. China and every other major country in the world is fiscally responsible. It's fully paid for. 17 Nobel Prize winners in economics have said it will lower the inflationary pressures on the economy. And over the next 10 years, it will not add to the deficit at all. It will actually reduce the deficit, according to economists. I want to thank my colleagues in the Congress for the leadership. We spent hours and hours and hours over months and months working on this. No one got everything they wanted, including me. But that's what compromise is. That's consensus. And that's what I ran on. Holy crap. Can we just... I'm not... I am not sure... I am not sure I can listen to anything else. Compromise? Consensus? You're working this whole thing to get it passed through budget reconciliation so you don't need a Republican vote. Consensus? Who are you talking to? We see you. Good Lord. Look at how they posture it out while they're engaging budget reconciliation, which is a process, don't get me wrong. 
but they sure as bloody heck aren't looking for consensus. I've long said compromise and consensus are the only way to get big things done in a democracy, important things done for the country. I know it's hard. I know how deeply people feel about the things that they fight for. But this framework includes historic investments in our nation and in our people. Any single element of this framework would fundamentally be viewed as a fundamental change in America. Taken together, they're truly consequential. I'll have more to say after I return from the critical meetings in Europe this week. But for now, let me lay out a few points. First, we face, and I know I apologize for saying this again, we face, we face an inflection point as a nation. For most of the 20th century, we led the world by a significant margin because we invested in our people. Not only in our roads and our highways and our bridges, but in our people and our families. We didn't just build an interstate highway system, we built a highway to the sky. We invested to win the space race and we won. We're also among the first to provide access to free education for all Americans, beginning back in the late 1800s. That decision alone to invest in our children and their families was a major part of why we were able to lead the world for much of the 20th century. But somewhere along the way, we stopped investing in ourselves, investing in our people. America is still the largest economy in the world. We still have the most productive workers and most innovative minds in the world. But we've risked losing our edge as a nation. Our infrastructure used to be rated the best in the world. Today, according to the World Economic Forum, we rank 13th in the world. We used to lead the world in educational achievement. Now the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development ranks America 35th out of the 37 major countries when it comes to investing in early childhood education and care. No, 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 no. Our education issues have to deal with the fact that public education has failed us. Now, I, I wasn't going to get into this conversation. There is a fantastic piece that is, is part of a conversation with Camille Paglia. Camille Paglia is one of the last real culture commentators, I think, in, in society. It's from something called uh, Intellectual Takeout. And this is a, a few years ago. It's 2017. And it's how the dumbing down of America began in public schools. And Paglia is a Democrat. Paglia is a feminist, uh, a professor, but a Democrat in, in, the, in the way you would think of a Democrat. Not in the progressive, partisan, nonsensical ways we see today. It's really started at the level of public school education. I've been teaching now for 46 years as a classroom teacher, and I have felt the slow devolution of the quality of public school education in the classroom. And I don't think Pagley is the only one saying this. We moved to this system where we relied on the federal government to educate our kids, and our kids did not come out better on the other side. They didn't. While I favor the concept of a free public education, I do not favor the Department of Education, nor do I favor the way we do it now. It doesn't work. We were better off with the one-room schoolhouse. 
The education was stronger. The fundamentals were better. The concepts of culture were more ingrained. And if you're going to say to me, oh, so you mean racist, all right, let's, let's just fight it out. Pick a street corner. Let's go to work. If every answer to every statement about things not being on the hand, in the hands of government is, oh, so you mean racist, we've got to fight this out because that's just madness. It wasn't the one-room schoolhouse that ran the Tuskegee experiments. Can I help you? It wasn't the one-room schoolhouse that was trying to keep kids out of schools and turning the fire hoses on people. Oh, can I help you? You nonsense people. You fools. You you ignorant, ignorant fools. Not you, them. But what do I expect from you? You got educated by the wrong folk. And now you want to go about protecting them. The answer of Biden and this team of these progressives is repeatedly again and again and again, we just need more money at this. There comes a moment where you stop throwing good money after bad and you realize that the product sucks. The educational product, as delivered by the unions in the United States of America, doesn't work. Are there great teachers out there? Absolutely. I want them. I want to pay them. Do I want the unions? Nope. I don't give a good holy damn what happens to Randy Weingarten. Let her go work in the private sector. Let her actually earn her money. You think I care what happens to the unions? Do we really need schools to be palaces? Of course not. We need them to work. And then we need kids to be able to grow up and create their own palaces. This is what we need. This is just the start. I'm three minutes into Joe Biden. It's already just nonsense. And you'll notice three minutes in, he's talked about how we historically came together, but we don't know the details. What are the details? I'm going to play more of this. You tell me. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. You know, when it's not a midterm, you pay attention to some of the things that are going on. All right, may not be in your state, but still, it's interesting. And this Virginia governor's race has been it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, the phone number, happy to hear from you, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. McAuliffe is the Democrat, Glenn Youngkin is the Republican, Terry McAuliffe against Glenn Youngkin, Y-O-U-N-G-K-I-N, pronounced Youngkin, and McAuliffe should have a clear advantage in a state like Virginia. Yes, I don't ever call it a blue state. I understand they have voted for Democrats more often than not as of late. And I think that's a solid point that was made yesterday. But when I see these states that are so dominated in just three or four counties by Democrats and they take over the rest of the state, I feel weird about calling it a blue state. I feel that way about Illinois. Now, it could just me be being trying to make the distinction when really you just got to call it what it is. And I think there's there's an argument there. But you take the, the places outside of, of those counties around D.C., Fairfax County, Loudoun County, et cetera, and you have a much different state. 
uh, you take you get out of Cook County in Illinois, you have a much different state in the state of Illinois. So McAuliffe should have these built-in advantages, but they, they don't seem to be working for him. And he has to call in Joe Biden to help him campaign. And Joe Biden is saying, People are buying more things. Manufacturing is up. We're on the move, but we're on the right track. We got What's on the right track? The economy? The economy is on the right track? That's what you're going to tell the people of Virginia? Next thing you know, you're going to call blackface Ralph Northam your pal. Goes without saying how much I appreciate your current governor, Ralph Northam. Where's Ralph? There you are, pal. Well, there's that. None of these things are working well for Terry McAuliffe. This is way too tight of a race, and everyone knows it. What's interesting is that Terry McAuliffe and his campaign have now spent $60,000 on a law firm, Elias Law Group. That's Mark Elias. This is a guy you go to when you're looking at election challenges. The Democrats are now looking to see what challenges will be made if they lose because they're already claiming that the election is rigged. Oh, oh, I have to I have to play the music? Is that what I have to do? Oh, okay. Democrats making this claim. There hasn't been an election. When Trump made this claim, it was, oh, how can you make such a claim? The election hasn't even happened yet. This is just so weak. This is just so, he's trying so hard. He's flailing, I tell you. Look at this. Look at this. A guy who has a comfortable lead, a guy who has faith in his campaign, doesn't make these moves. Now, I would tell you that if I was running for office, of course I would be checking and investigating and being ready for any legal challenge because you have to be. You have to be. But this isn't the move for a guy who's supposed to have it in the bag. This is... They're nervous. They are very, very nervous, and rightfully so. We're going to keep watching this race. It's coming next week faster than you think. Exactly how bad is the supply chain problem? We'll get into that coming up next. I'm Tony Katz. Now, yesterday, we shared some of what took place on Capitol Hill. The Senate, talking to Merrick Garland, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Merrick Garland is, of course, the Attorney General. And it was just rough and tumble. And Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas... He was just angry. And that man, Scott Smith, because he went to a school board and tried to defend his daughter's rights, 
was condemned internationally. Do you apologize to Scott Smith and his 15-year-old daughter, Judge? Senator, anyone whose uh, child was raped as, uh, is a, the most horrific crime I can imagine and is certainly entitled and protected by the First Amendment to c- protest to their school board about that. But he was cited by the School Board Association that's fine, as a domestic not, terrorist, which we now know that letter and those reports were the basis for your... No, th- this no is, Senator, this is that's wrong. Shameful. Judge, that's, this is shameful. This, here, this testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Okay, that's not. Th- cr- thank God you are not on the Supreme Court. You that, should resign in disgrace, Judge. This is the way a lot of people feel. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Sometimes I forget if I say hello. 833-468-8669. But a lot of what got uh, of the conversation, a lot of what was discussed was, was about this idea of the politicizing of the Department of Justice. Anybody who calls Merrick Garland a moderate never understood anything about Merrick Garland. Not a moderate. Not at all. Not in any way. And earlier I spoke with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, to get his take on what took place yesterday with the Senate Judiciary Committee, how the Department of Justice is being used as a cudgel against parents. In this school board's uh, conversation, you have the National School Board Association referring to parents as domestic terrorists, and you have the Department of Justice agreeing even if they didn't say the words domestic terrorist, because they're now going to take a look at these things. Take a look at what things? Loud parents? I mean, there was a whole conversation that school boards think it's uh, abusive if you call too many times. Too many phone calls is their issue. If I call once a day for a week, is that too many phone calls? These people are flowers, and they should be treated improperly in terms of don't play their game about what they think is proper. I don't think you should threaten people. I don't think you should engage in violence. You can make a phone call every day. You can get loud at a school board meeting. They're not entitled to lower your voice. This is the way I talk. What am I supposed to do? Talk another way to make you happy? I'm not interested in making you happy. Why? Because you're not interested in making me happy. That much is for sure, school board. But when you have the Department of Justice basically agreeing with the idea And not basically agreeing with the idea that parents are domestic terrorists. You're silencing parents. You're preventing people from speaking out. You're instilling fear in them. And I asked William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com, if this was the case, was the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland being used to silence parents? Absolutely. This was a totally political act. We now know that the White House had communications with the National School Board Association before the letter came in. We now know that Merrick Garland acted within a matter of days over a weekend after the memo came in. That doesn't happen normally. And then the memo was put out there. And while he can get up there and say, well, we're only talking about threats, what other protest movements is he issuing such memos about? Okay, he's not. And so this was a shot across the bow of a rising movement in the country, which uh, is a parental movement trying to create the argument for local officials to use that they are threats and they are potential terrorists. So that's what it was clearly intended to do. That's what it did. It may not actually have that impact because there's such big pushback. But whether it has the impact or not is irrelevant. This was an attempt to demonize 
millions, maybe tens of millions of parents. This was an attempt to give political cover to local, mostly Democrat left wing school board people who um, have been claiming that parents have no right to get up there and protest against what they're doing to the children in schools. Now, let's make sure we, 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 we dig a, a little bit deeper here. It seems that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, got the letter from the National School Board Association and then wrote the memo. One of the questions he was asked about is, had he done any investigation into the claims of the letter from the National School Board Association, calling parents domestic terrorists, talking about violence across the country? And did they, he find any of those claims credible? As in his own words, he never did an investigation. So it does seem that he took the words of the School Board Association on its face and then decided to engage the Justice Department in this, uh, in, in this basically attack on parents as I see it, the question before us is, is there something in there, we, we could certainly describe possibly a sinister, but is, is there something in there that can give Republicans cause to try to get him removed? Well, I would strongly urge that if Republicans retake the House in 2022, uh, and if he's still attorney general, that they consider impeaching him. It's never been done to an attorney general, but this is completely outrageous. I mean, this is the complete politicization of the FBI and the Department of Justice for, you know, for no good reason. He can't even point to a reason why he issued this other than somebody wrote him a letter. And if you read that letter, almost all of the incidents they're talking about are simple protests. I mean, somebody getting up at a microphone and raising their voice is not a threat of violence. And if it were, they could have local police deal with it. Why is the federal government injecting itself into a non-issue when it comes to a federal law enforcement perspective? Why are they injecting themselves into this? Why are they issuing a memo? Why are they targeting parents? And I'll tell you exactly why they're doing it, because it's completely political now over there at the top echelon. And this parents movement is a huge threat to Democrats. It is. Remember, education is not only where they uh, are able to generate millions of dollars for campaign purposes, but they are also using that as the place where they engage their theories and thoughts, their beliefs, to get your kids to buy in. Our kids, you know what, maybe it's the kids. I know plenty of people listen who don't have kids. I don't want to alienate you. Sorry about that. That's why it matters so much. Now, on this, I'm going to share with you two stories. You are not going to believe me when I share these stories with you. You will not believe that this is possible at all or in any way. But I'm going to share with you two stories. And then the question is going to be, why do we still have faith in the education system as is? Can we do better? And when do we begin? I'm going to share two stories with you, and then you're going to have to ask the question, are these schools doing right by our kids and by our future? I've got two stories, number one and number two. Uh, Producer Ari, uh, pick one to start with, and I will start with that story. (laughs) How we start with number one? I'll start with number one. A Florida school board member takes elementary school students on field trip to gay bar. 
Broward County Schools. I was so honored to be invited to chaperone Wilton Manors Elementary's field trip to the incredible Rosies. The students and I had a fun walk over and learned a lot about our community. A huge thank you to Rosie's Bar and Grill for hosting the special field trip every year. It, kids took a trip to a bar. They, they took a trip to a bar. We're worried about COVID. The kids are going to get sick. Everyone's going to get killed. We didn't take them to the museum. We didn't take them to a nature center. We went to a bar. On the bar, at the bar, there's a, a, a menu, according to, to some. And they've got, uh, they've got burgers and sandwiches. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and here are some of the, the names of, of, of the sandwiches. There's the Big Girl Burger. There's the Rota Cowboy. Ivana Hooker. Helena Bunn. Oh, my personal favorite, Georgia Blue. Young Ranch Hands. The Willie Cheesesteak. And the left one, because sometimes the left ones are bigger. This is the bar they went to. Now you can say to me, Tony, you you those kids probably don't get what those things mean or or the double entendre they're in. Okay, sure, play it that way. Feel free. But here are kids sitting around in masks. The kids are all in masks. The adults, most of them, have the mask off or pulled down below their face. And here they are sitting at the tables, and you've got all the different rainbow colors hanging up inside the bar. And here's a group of men, one would assume they're either owners of the bar or work there, gay men talking to the kids. You think I care if kids learn about going to a bar? No, I don't. It doesn't bother me at all and in any way. But they're not learning about the restaurant industry, are they? That's not what this is all about. No part of this is about learning about the restaurant industry. This is about wokeness. At what moment do we say this is ridiculous? What's someone going to say to me? Oh, you don't like kids visiting a bar? When, a, when someone says that to you, oh, you don't like kids learning about other people, tell them to kiss your butt. And you could say it much angrier than that if you choose. There is no decency. I don't want my first grader going to a bar. I don't want my first grader going to a gay bar. And I don't want my first grader being lectured to by you because I don't know you. I'll teach them about sexuality, thank you very much. You can't be trusted. You, the school teacher, you, the bar owner, you, the gay bar owner, you're not good enough to teach sexuality to my children. Don't you get it? Don't you get that you just don't have what it takes? You're not smart enough. You're not decent enough. You're not caring enough. I'm the parent. I am. I'll handle this. That was one story. That was one story. How how about story number two, producer? Are you ready? Hell yeah. From the Lexington Herald leader, lap dances at Hazard Homecoming. Don't schools already have enough problems these days? And this story 
is about a place called Hazard High School. And for homecoming, they have girls in Hooters t-shirts carrying what looks like glasses of beer, but it's got to be make-believe beer. But then they have male students dressed up in tights and bikinis who did pretend lap dances for teachers and administrators. You tell me what's going on. You tell me what students actually participated in this. You tell me what teachers actually participated in this. Tell me. Tell me what happened here where you have students who are in stages of undress feeling up teachers. Go on, I'll wait. Tell me how this is important for my children to learn things. Tell me why I should trust a school district, a school board, teachers, unions. And there are good school boards and there are good teachers and there are good unions because we don't see this happening everywhere, do we? But shouldn't we fire every teacher involved with this? There is, uh, there, there's this teacher in the background uh, like laughing hysterically, this woman in the background. I want her fired too. Don't you know this is insane? Don't you know this is inappropriate and ridiculous and crazed? You don't know that this is taking advantage of kids even in high school? There's a difference between children and adults. And more and more, we want to blur that line. Me, I think that line is absolutely necessary, and I want it stamped in concrete. There's a difference between children and adults. There's a difference. Children need to be protected most often from themselves. And these are not adults who are capable of doing it. You want to tell me how great they are and how they're heroes? They're not heroes. They are trash. See, heroes are heroes. And good teachers are good teachers. And man, I appreciate them. And I'll tell you, my kids have good teachers. I am crazy impressed to this moment with the teachers my kids have. These teachers, they're in Lexington. If I'm a parent, they're looking for a fight. I, I would love to tell you that I could be the calm, rational one. Not on that. Take my first my, my, my first grader to, to, to a gay bar or any bar. Yeah, there's going to be a fight. And all of these things are about cultural degradation and breakdown. It's inappropriate for a first grader to be in a bar. I can't bring one of my kids into a cigar lounge. You know I'm a guy who does a cigar lounge or two. I want to go pick something up. I want to go say hello to somebody. My kid would have to wait in the car. They can't come in with me. They're not going to smoke anything. They can't even come in with me. But field trips? Not to the local Chili's, mind you. I'm not interested in playing the game where I have to prove I'm nice. These people aren't nice. I don't want to play anymore. Their games suck. They're dangerous. These are vitriolic, hateful people. And just like the Department of Justice is weaponized against parents, look what the schools are doing. And that's why parents are fighting back, in case you didn't know. I'm Tony Katz.
I've got more on the supply chain issues. I've got more of Biden's statement, which I don't know what the deal is. $1.75 trillion in spending, which is really about all the, the social stuff and not very little about infrastructure, if anything about infrastructure, that they want to push through budget reconciliation. Is this what's going to get Joe Manchin on board? Does it get Cinema on board? $1.75 trillion worth of spending, and they'll raise taxes to $1.995 trillion and still make the claim that taxes won't go up for people under $400,000 a year. Income taxes won't go up. Well, how would we know with the inflation going up? Meanwhile, GDP had a big miss. Economist Matt Will is scheduled to be with us to break it all down. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. This is Tony Katz Today.